What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheen. I'm here with my co-host wearing his desperation dress, Dave Martinson. Dave, what's going on, man? Gang, gang, man. How's it going? Happy uh, 12th of November. Happy, yeah, 12th of November. Crazy. The year is quickly approaching to a close, unfortunately for us, or fortunately for everybody else. The culture is not slowing down. We got a shit ton to talk about today. So before we jump into it, please hit that subscribe button on YouTube, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback. Something that kind of bummed me out today, Dave. Stan Lee, creator, or well, not the sole creator, but a very major contributor. The person that moved the Marvel Universe to the next level and kind of kickstarted into what it became today. Uh, the juggernaut it is today. Passed away today at 95. Um, not going to say it was unexpected. He was 95, and he's had some health issues for the past year. But a sad loss. What, how are you feeling about this? Yeah, it's interesting because I remember you know, a few weeks ago, I was reading that like follow-up The Hollywood Reporter did regarding like the whole scandal that was going on with him. And like, was his daughter taking advantage of him? He was getting these people. Elder abuse. Right, and all these people that were like in his life and you know, he's getting rid of them. And, and, but during that interview, they explained that, you know, like he doesn't hear that well anymore. He's more soft spoken, things like that. So you could tell he wasn't, you know, like as, as spry as he's looked in past cameos, let's say. But, um, yeah, 95. I mean, shit. He was born in the fucking twenties. Dude lived a long life. It's pretty wild. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's pretty crazy that he was still appearing in all these movies. And I, I know that they, they shoot his cameos in, in bunches. So it's not yeah. like, it's not like he's going to every set and it's half a day of shooting. <laughs> exactly. If that, but he was still, I mean, still the face, still well-renowned, um, obviously not really contributing that much to the stories anymore. Um, what do you see his legacy being? I mean, obviously, as the head of Marvel, but what do you think people are really going to remember him for? Well, yeah, I mean, you kind of said it, but he co-created damn near every Marvel character people think of. The only one he really didn't have a hand in was Captain America, which kind of predated him a little bit. But like, yeah, I mean, he worked with who was uh, Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. He basically created everyone. The X-Men, Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, Thor, the Hulk daredevil black panther yeah. iron man etc mm-hmm. right <laughs> so all these touchstones that started off counterculture and then became obviously mainstream entertainment but then you, know, you also don't want to forget like his time as the editor-in-chief of marvel and like writing stories and really pushing what comics could do in the storytelling medium you know and obviously this is decades ago now but then as he moved up through marvel Becoming publishing the whole company and then really forming it and you know working like Aviara and guys like that. So, I mean, it's a it's a fucking big legacy, man. It's a long obit, but uh, I think overall it is lasting. You know, I mean, I mean, he created one of the most powerful brands there ever was and succeeded for years and even he helped shepherd to a certain extent through the '90s bankruptcy, right when they sold. So he should be commended for a lot. But I think a lot of people, you know, especially like nowadays probably disassociate him with the cameos and stuff, right? Oh, yeah, he uh, created the characters. and Oh, he's in the movie. It's always funny, right? Ah, there he is. But you know, if you go back and read the comics he actually wrote back in the day, you would kind of be impressed with what he achieved. So it's a tough loss, but at the end of the day, you know, he lived, lived a long life, so. Yeah, and just so 
a quick like button on, on something you said about how he pushed the comic book genre to what it could be and expanded you know what what these stories were but the time he kind of really took over at marvel and started writing superheroes were very like idealistic you know that they didn't really have anything wrong with them they mostly were just fighting these bad guys and they were perfect beings in a way he introduced you know like the trouble superhero the first one was spider-man and he was worried about like having dandruff and what people were going to think of him (laughs) with that which seems silly but for the time you know like late 60s 70s it was it was a big change and that's what's these characters so interesting now is that they are complicated and they are complex and they have motives and they have struggles just like other people and it made them a lot more relatable um you know i think i think they one of the things i read talked about this uh it's like unsanctioned at the time or wasn't like supported by marvel at the time but he wrote about uh superman's best or uh, spider-man's best friend having uh, yeah popping pills and how that became a very popular series of comics um and that kind of propelled those storylines more into the mainstream so definitely a, a revolutionary comic book writer and creator and uh someone you know whose influence can really not be uh, overstated at this point so sad loss r.i.p stan lee it's kind of hard to transition to something <laughs> not not related so you know we have a lot of music to talk about today but before we jump into it we've been reviewing a lot of uh hip-hop you know over the last couple of weeks i mean i think we've set our piece on our rock versus rap and what's happened to rock check out that video on youtube if you want hip-hop is just it's the main i would say it's probably the main source of music at this point where the most exciting things are happening with the most exciting artists right now and we talk about xxl every year and it's a, it's earlier than we usually do we usually we talk about it right before it's supposed to be announced but we want to talk about because there's a lot of really exciting artists at this point and i see you smiling i want to take take it from here <laughs> yeah i mean shit the cover comes out in june 2019 but we're going to be talking about it now because uh there's interest in it and there's already prospects that seem oh they should be on the list so why wait right and um yeah it's i think talking about the xxl is always cool because like you said hip-hop is so hot hip-hop is so buzzing the most streamed genre the most engaged with on social all of that right and because of that, making a 10-person a 10 XXL freshman list is more challenging than it once was, mm-hmm. given all of the people that are in the mix. So I do think it is an int- important thing to talk about, even if you know you might, the viewer personally might not put any stock in who makes the list or not. You know, And again, artists, we've talked about this last year. Check out our video when we predicted all nine of the 2018 correctly. <laughs> you don't need that to be successful these days, given this look at the state of hip-hop. But I think it's always an important cosign, and it's a nice, you know, mark in the history books. So, thinking about it for next year, this early is still pretty tough and interesting. So, happy to get to it now. <laughs> yeah, and I I take most of the credit for the the correct picks the last couple of years. You know, if you go back and watch those videos, we know that was mostly me. I, I did have a couple people that I thought would be probably likely or some some people talk about before we even really started talking about it in our text message together and one of our guys juice world we just reviewed an album very recently uh with travis scott and he seems not travis future future sorry geez who did who did travis release the album with this year yeah the quavo album in december that that was so that 
Yeah, that, that, that's what I was getting confused with. <laughs> so yeah, he dropped the album with Future recently, World on Drugs, and we, we gave it a pretty positive review. So we said that they had good rapport back, back and forth, and it seems like there's a lot, lot there to like and a lot of potential there. Do you think he's going to be on this list? Oh, definitely. I think the only question of uh, Juice World being on the list is similar to Little Pump this year. Is Juice World too famous slash too wealthy to bother with the list? At the end of the day, the artist has to Say yes. decide to go to New York and shoot these shoot these videos, do the ciphers, all that, right? Juice World signed, a, I think it was a $4 million deal at the start of the year. Lucid Dreams peaked at, I think it was number three this year. Hit a few other really big songs and then quickly joined with a rap A-lister future and released a pretty successful uh, follow-up, which also did really well commercially. So I think Juice World, he both is new enough to be warranted for this list, has the has the hits clearly, has the popularity, check his socials, check any of his views. He's obviously people are engaged with him. And also he is interesting and different. He has a unique sound to him and while his lyrics aren't always as good, I think he's a pretty introspective rapper at times and talks about like addiction and drugs and stuff like that in an interesting way. So I do think he has the content for to, worth being recognized. So it's not just a popularity thing. So yeah, I think Juice World uh, would be the the star of the the cover next year, assuming he wants to go through with it. So I'd hope. So he, he he seems to be a shoe in if, if he says yes. Mud Boy came out recently. We didn't we didn't talk about it, but Shaq West seems to be catching a lot of a lot of popularity and a lot of fame since since this release. He seems like a somebody else that seems like a shoe in for this list. Am I wrong on that? No, <laughs> dude. Mo Bamba yeah. is just yeah. massive. It's just a biggest song of the year. Song. For sure, and it's crazy because the song came out in early 2017. It's just that no one was really listening to it. I mean, he the song came out when Mo Bamba was still at A&M. <laughs> or sorry, yeah. Texas, not A&M. Because like, they're friends from New York. They know each other. And the song was like a cult hit, right? He released the other song, Live, Live Check West, Die Check West. And then he re- makes the video for Mo Bamba in January. And then just picks up. He signs the Cactus Jack and Good Music. So that's a big co-sign there. And then the song just took off. It's gigantic. And then he releases Mud Boy, as you just said, a few a uh, few weeks ago. And we didn't review it, but it's an interesting project because I don't think it, it's totally... Po- I don't have a totally positive take on it, but there is some other hits in there or at least like, you know, signs that Check West isn't a flash in the pan. Songs like uh, Kyrie and Gmail, stuff like that. And he just has so much energy on all of his songs. He's a, actually kind of a, like a chanting delivery of sorts. That I do think that there's a lot yeah. there, and of course the cosigns Travis Scott and Kanye slash Pusha T. I mean, it's tough to beat that. So couple that with the sheer magnitude that is Mobamba these days. It's the hottest song in any club. He should be on there as well. So I, I think Sheck West, his delivery is like made just to make bangers, basically, because it just gets everybody chanting with with them. Like Mobamba, everybody just wants to sing along and like rage to that that song. And like his other songs on his album are similar. So um he's gonna be on. He's he's an absolute star. Um some uh, these these two guys made an album together, Gunna and Lil Baby. Um and Drip Harder, while I, I listened pretty passively to it, I still found myself bopping to it a lot. And I, I think that there's a lot to like between these two. Um do you think that they'll get picked, or do you think that making this album together might actually hurt their chances? No, I don't think it hurts their chances, because they were both established in their own way solo before they really strip harder. Um, 
little baby came on earlier. It was actually not that long ago, like this last December, uh, he was on the quality control compilation, right? And that's how he kind of came up. He was like around Migos and the quality control guys. And like, hey, you're pretty good at this. You should start rapping. Then he makes some mixtapes. The next thing you know, he's a massive star, just like the other, like the, like Migos, right? Um, and then Gunna, who was a friend of Little Baby's, also was at it a little longer than him. And then uh, Drip Season 3 comes out early in this year. It was very successful. Some hits off that. And like you said, they they collabed together. That album went number one, did like 100,000 first week. Um, drip uh, was it drip too hard like big ass song so i think these guys you know if, like as we're going through this list the, they kind of represent the mainstream the current the the foundation of rap right now atlanta like these are atlanta guys and you always need them on the list and i think they're big enough and already have put out a fair amount of songs already to warrant this and yeah again they're guys that maybe they wouldn't bother because they're quite big already but they should be there you know, it, it sounds like we, we have a couple that will probably be there. And I think there's one more that I'm almost certain it's going to be there. This is your guy, YBN Cordai. Cordai? Corday? Corday? Corday. Um, Corday, yeah. He uh, dropped this album earlier this year. Basically, it's a mixtape, I guess. Uh, it's 23 songs, which, first of all, this guy knows how to game the streams. You know, get, get those plays up, boy. Um, but <laughs> really, I mean... It, you look at like Kung Fu seems to be like his major st- breakout song, but then he's only got a couple other songs that really seem to yeah. have jumped up uh, off this album. But I feel like with Kung Fu's massive appeal, he's got to be a shoe in. Yeah. So that YBN mixtape, Corday's only on a handful of those songs because most of those songs were made by YBN Namir, who we talked about uh, at length. He made the cover this year, as well as uh, YBN Omari J. They were the first two of this YBN click to pop off right and then Corday came around third his first song anyone really heard was old hitters it was the 1985 j cole response and everyone was impressed because Corday came out with a lyrical thoughtful response over j cole's beat and it was actually good and then you listen to Corday talk and make more songs and you're like oh wait this guy is like very smart and you uh, one of the cuts on um the YBN mixtape is about being pulled over by the police. And it's a really, again, a lyrical hit, lyrical cut. And then, like, Dr. Dre uh, started fucking with Corday and was in the studio with him already, right? And again, like you said, he does not have a lot of music out right now. And I think he's only, like, like Namer, and, like, he's, like, 18, I think. Yeah, yeah, Corday was born in 97. He's very young. So what's that make him, 21? 21. Yeah, so he, yeah, he has not been on the scene at all, but I think that cosign... And the clear promise that he presents as a lyricist uh, would warrant warrant him be on the list. So I really hope. He'd so be th- these are a couple other people. I, I just have questions if they're eligible or if you think they'll make it because I think two of them are definitely eligible. Um, one that I'm not sure. T Grizzly, is he eligible? Uh, well, I thought T Grizzly should have made it this year. Um, and like like we said, we got all nine correct, but they didn't pick the tenth spot. And T Grizzly was my tenth guy because. Uh, Little skies, rich a bunch of people like turned it down. They just didn't fill that fill that last spot. So I thought T Grizzly should have already been picked. Um, he just released his second mixtape this like year. like this past week. Yeah, still my moment. And it's like they don't really roll it over that much, you know. So like you could see it, but it's like guys that got passed over this year for like violent, like domestic violence stuff, right? So six nine Dex, young boy, they won't be on there for twenty nineteen. But someone like Grizzly, who is just 
skipped for whatever reason. Maybe he just wasn't interested. Yeah, I think he's worth it. He's still new enough. But I'm probably just going to assume he's not picked again, you know? But he's worth it. I mean, he has those hits. He has now a steady body of work. He's worked with, uh, you know, Dirk and Meek Mill and stuff. So he's got the good music. So, I, I mean, I, I really wanted him to be on it this year. So, you know, if they threw him a bone th- uh, for 2019, I'd be happy <laughs> yeah. with it. But I don't expect it. Someone that I'm guessing doesn't have enough body of work yet potentially could change before they pick 070 Shake. She showed out on Kanye's albums this summer. Um, a lot of buzz after Ghost Town, but haven't really. She hasn't released, I don't think, an official project yet, right? Uh, she has, I think, like, uh, the Glitter EP, which came out right before okay. uh, Ye came out, but that's like 20 minutes. And I think that's her first official release. She might have one other, one other EP on top of that. She's pretty young. She's pretty new. She would be an interesting pick. A, uh, she'll love to some ladies for once on this cover, but also she's different. Uh, sonically, vocally, she's in a different lane. She certainly isn't little baby or gonna, right? So picking 070 Shake would be cool. Um, and again, got the good music uh, co-sign. So she's, I think she has the package. It's just there's no singular hit that's hers. Obviously, Ghost Town is a feature. Um, but she, she would be an inspired pick for sure um, because I still think people might not be familiar with who she actually is, even if they heard her on a Kanye album, right? Um yeah, that's a good that's a good one. I would like to see that. I would like to see that too. Uh, I think probably one of my favorite surprise moments off the the Kanye album, NBA Young Boy. No, he, no, well, they pa- they passed him over this year because he, he like hit his girlfriend. So no, not ah him. okay. I I didn't know he had the the kind of issue. If he didn't okay. have that, uh, they would have picked him this year because he's very very successful. Tons of streams, a lot of hits. But no, he's. Damage goods. Little Mosey, that was who was next on my list. Little Mosey, we gonna see him on this list? I think so. He's I think sixteen. He's very young and noticed. Similar to Mobamba, his hit song "Notice" came out last year. Took a while to bubble, and now it's really big. It's been a staple of rap caviar for months. And he just released uh, his debut like official project. He had some like you know SoundCloud projects, but his debut project "North's Best" a few weeks ago. And like yes, you listen, it's like lyrics there's no lyrics there but what he does have is like he kind of has like an interesting interesting like flow for trap beats and his two hits like his the next hit off of this north best project is called kamikaze he just got a cole bennett video and similar to mosey on his hooks he has like really like cool drum beats that just make the sound song sound really catchy so i think his ear for production is like very underrated for a kid uh, as young as he is so I would think he'd be there just because Notice got really big and we already have, you know, the signs of more to come with this new project. So I think he would be there. It would make sense. But on the other hand, he is quite young. If you want to make him wait another year, I wouldn't have a problem with it. So who else do you expect to see on? on yeah, so I mean, I think Juice World, Check West, Corday, Baby and Gunna, those five are like damn near locks. Like those are the first five people XXL will ask. It's just a matter of if they say yes, right? And then all these other people are, you know, we're, we're making the case, right? Um, all the Chicago people, we talked about them for, for this year's list, but like No Name in theory would be the closest given that she just released Room 25, another acclaim project. But all these Chicago artists like that, I just don't see them having enough mainstream appeal or recognition to get picked, which is disappointing because they would really benefit from this exposure. But I would root against that. So Smina, who we're going to talk about, Saba, Toki, all these guys, they're not going to get picked. They're just, they're just too underground. 
Um, so who's that leave? I mean, Jay Critch is a New York rapper. He's in like the A Boogie camp. Um, I've never been too impressed with him, but he's skin popped, so I could see him getting picked. Uh, young bands, Little Nar. I'm not really crazy about these dudes, but they're kind of popular now. Maybe uh, Zillakami would be an interesting one because he is like similar to Little Peep. Who we're going to talk about. He kind of merges like like metal themes and like tons of like heavy rock influences into his rap. Uh, he was featured on Denzel Curry's album earlier this year. He's very interesting to me. Um, again, he'd be a pretty off the wall choice, but I think that actually be pretty inspired. Uh, Comethazine, another interesting one, maybe. Um, yeah, great name, right? Uh, Vale, we talked about him for this year. Um, if he releases another project and he has like a hit on there, I could see them going with Vale, given the good music cosign and whatnot. And he's been in the news, given the flows. What about Saweetie? A couple of songs off her album I like a lot. Ice Girl, or Icy Girl is great. Yeah, Icy Girl, fucking banger. Was what, It was an insecure, like everyone knows Icy Girl, right? And Saweetie smartly followed off that high-maintenance EP. I mean, Up Now was her last single at GZ on there. But I think she's dating Quavo, or briefly dated Quavo. Like She's clearly positioning herself to be a big star. And I think if she releases one more project before this cover-choosing time comes, I think she she should get on there. Because she's getting a lot of recognition for someone with not a lot of music. But she has that hit. Uh, she has kind of the cosign of just general Atlanta got, Atlanta rap right so yeah i would not be surprised if she was there nice all right all right so we got i think like seven definites it seems like from you yeah and i mean i would love to see rico nasty on here um she's got a lot of music out so <laughs> she's probably got passed over but i love to see rico nasty on here and then lastly um jane smith is gonna drop another project at the end of this week that's pretty soon after sire came out he had that like electric uh, remix version of Sire earlier this year. So he's act more active in music. So wouldn't be surprised. Jane's still pretty young, but you know, maybe. <laughs> right, well, we'll see. sounds like there's some definites and then still a lot of room for someone to come up and potentially steal it's some early. spots. So we'll, we'll, we'll be talking about it. Stay tuned. Why don't we jump to some of the music that you mentioned though. Smino, Noir, sophomore album, uh, follow up to 2017's Black Swan, B-L-K-S-W-N-O. Black, Black Swan, shout out Natalie Portman. <laughs> you know, his his debut album was really, uh, I think a lot of his acclaim comes from, he's a really good lyricist and he also tries a lot of different things with his music and has a lot of different sounds to his music. Um, that That's pretty much the same thing for this album in my book. You know, his lyrics are are really good the way he delivers lines is very interesting he makes things that you would never expect to to rhyme somehow rhyme um but i think really um what i liked is only a couple of the songs sounded similar and that especially as you go through the album there's points when he sings points when he does things with his his uh voice that you wouldn't expect kind of reminds me of kendrick lamar in a way um and how he can storytell and and lyrically he's very solid but the way he uses his voice to really create different moods and feelings um and deliver different meanings to his songs i thought was really impressive um i'm, I'm you know I'm talking a lot about the album <laughs> did, did you like noir noir uh yeah no i kind of view it the same way i view black swan where you know it's there's a lot of cuts on there but like you said he changes his vocals 
uh, a lot. Like the delivery just straight up changes from song to song, right? Which I think is, like you said, one of his better strengths because I think sometimes some of those deliveries he has can feel a little samey, a little too indebted to the Chance the Rapper. You know, he still has sometimes a nasally voice, right? And other times I think he can almost sound like too sleepy, like he's almost like slurring his words intentionally, right? But because he jumps around with that, again, with the semblance of a pretty consistent, uh, you know, production palette, I, I think that's, you know, for the better for him. And, you know, I like, you know, there were some cuts I liked on Black Swan and similar to this, there's some songs I really like on here too. I mean, you listen to Covert, LMF, those first two songs, then go up and down and listen to freaking Crushed Ice with Valet. Yes. They sound totally different. And I think that's what's really cool about Smino is he's an artist who's effectively an independent rapper. And again, we can see his clear uh, what he's clearly indebted to from Chicago, who he's influenced by, but he's clearly making his own wave, which I think is really cool and really commendable. So yeah, I think uh, Noir is a, a is a good listen. Don't don't miss it. Yeah, definitely a good listen. Uh, and I I think we're probably gonna put a song or two of it on the album or on our best of uh, nostalgia best of twenty eighteen playlist on Spotify. Crush Ice is one of my favorites. Also, Spins I really liked. Probably my favorite one where he he's mostly singing in it. Um, so I, I'd recommend those to you. You mentioned a couple of good ones, including Crushed Ice. So that seems that'll probably be the one that makes it. Uh, Cupcake. So Cupcake did was she an XXL freshman? Like, how did you find out about her? I found out about her from Anthony Fantano. Shout out the needle drop. Yeah, Cupcake, pretty prolific, but she's only 21 years old. But I think because she exists outside mainstream hip-hop, she is still uh, pretty anonymous to, you know, people that don't read uh, music sites, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's how you find out about her. But it's uh, she's definitely her own her own artist. That's for sure. Yeah. What makes you say that? Because I, I I think people kind of describe her as like sexual and raunchy. What do you think really makes her stand out? Well, I, I think that's that she's just. I mean, pun intended. She's very raw in her in her lyrics and her storytelling. But it just she has like a big personality, even when she's not sexual in her lyrics, right? And I think that's really endearing because she doesn't just blend in with the wave, you know. And I, that's really been the case um, uh, ever since she popped off back in 2016. Then again, her first two mixtapes are called Cum Cake and STD. So she does lean yeah, into Yeah, I was going to say, she definitely <laughs> leans into it. All right, so Eden, is this along the same lines for you? Is it more the same from Cupcake, or what do you think of this release? Uh, I really like it. It's cool because this is the second album she released this year. E for Eyes came out back in January. We didn't get a chance to talk about it, but I think this is more of the same but better i think almost all of her verses i really like i think she's a really charismatic rapper i think the only time i i i get you know less enthused is sometimes i think her hooks are are lacking i think that's probably her or whatever shortcoming songs like uh dangle or starbucks i just thought those are weak hooks and kind of take away from her verses but most of the other songs <clears throat> i mean she has really punchy bars and really witty funny punchlines more often than not so i think she's and especially a project like this that's only 33 minutes um you know i think it's a lot of time was put into it and i think it's you can really jump in and listen to any of these songs and be entertained because she because of that delivery because of that flow and then you also appreciate the wit that she brings so yeah i'm a a big fan for sure what do you think though is this your first time listening to her yeah this is my first time listening to her i found her to be just really engaging and really funny um i did find some of 
I didn't find the production all that impressive on this album. Like the beats didn't really catch me on a lot of them. And I ended up feeling like songs like quiz or typo. I felt like those were kind of like throwbacks, like early or like mid two thousands, early two thousands hip hop in, in a lot of ways. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if that's what she was going for. Just kind of, uh, caught me off guard, but yeah, she's really funny. And I, I think I, more than anything, I just like Garfield, for example, was, I was like, why the hell is this song named Garfield? And then when she got to the, the chorus, I was like, wow. Like, how she brought that around is hilarious. Um, yeah. I also really liked Prenup. Um, yeah, and I, she brings in a Latin flair to some of her songs, which I think is really nice. Kind of reminded me of a little bit of Cardi with I Like It Like That. Um, sure. So there, in the, the shorter songs, like, give, give me all the short songs. For, uh, you know, Smino's album was 55 minutes. Muse with all their alternate <laughs> reality versions was like an hour 12. Um, and this is after reviewing what three or two or three albums last week, there were 30 minutes or shorter. I was like, good. Give me this short album. Mm-hmm. I need to get through this quick. So definitely check her out. The underachievers, Dave, you, you t- turned me on to these guys. We talked about them last year a little bit with their third album. They dropped their fourth one after the rain. Um, do you feel like they underachieved on this album? Hey, Yes. Yes, I do. I was disappointed in After the Rain. Um, on one hand, I thought they uh, did uh, made some interesting choices. I thought um, there's a few times where they they farmed out uh, sung hooks by somebody else, right? And I liked that, I think, most of the time, except for that first single. What's it called? A seven? Seven something? Uh, I didn't like that song. I thought I, I thought that didn't work too, work too well. But uh, seven letters—that's what it is. Um, and the thing is, like, UA has been around a long time. They are a duo from Flatbush, part of the Beast Coast movement, obviously with Flatbush Zombies, Joey Badass, and Pro Air artists. We talk about whenever they've dropped, mm-hmm. right? And UA has always been the least well known of that, you know, that movement. And I've never really understood why that was because. On one hand, they're repping like that real New York rap, and they're also just making a lot of fucking hot songs. Like they have hits on every project, and they make cool videos, and they're great live. I, I, they're, they're the first show I saw when I went when I moved to Boston, and it's just been weird to see them not really grow their fan base super super large, as far mm-hmm. as I can tell, anyway. And then when they released something like After the Rain, I was like, you know, I would have wouldn't have blamed them if they leaned into. I don't want to say lean into radio, but leaned into something yeah. more trendy to just try and attract someone. You know, there's no yeah. shame in that, especially when you've been making music a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. Joey did that to good effect. And, I mean, I think maybe getting people to sing hooks, make different kind of music. I mean, they made, quote, softer songs yeah. on this project. I think that was a g- good idea. And the problem is that Issa and AK often have flows that sound very mm-hmm. samey and you know, it's almost like you listening to that song. It's like you just listen to the other song. They they, they sound too right. similar, and I think maybe part of that's into the production. You know, like they've always been really into that, like ethereal, cloudy, third <laughs> shit, right? And you and you can kind of like see hear that in the production at times, even when it's not the subject matter. So you know, I was disappointed. Uh, on the other hand, like channeling and see through, I did think Issa talked about addiction pretty well on there but yeah i was unfortunately uh let down by this yeah you know i've checked out a couple of their other their past songs and um i think i listened to 
parts of the album that we talked about last year but i i just didn't really find this very engaging i've used the word engaging i think for two albums now but to go from like cupcake to like the underachievers i just found it so much more like laid back and um you know it kind of was like after a rainstorm in a way like i know that that's like a kind of a corny tie-in but like you know after like a storm there's like that period where things kind of just like settled and there's not much going on that's kind of how this felt was kind of listless their flows like you said were definitely very similar um and that kind of makes it not a super interesting album so i think they have a lot of potential you know you bring up a good point which is something we don't always talk about is um artists are trying to make a living and they need to become popular and they're trying to reach certain levels of fame so sometimes they need to switch things up to that might not be totally true to what they want to do or what they feel is best what they think will actually be successful um and i think a lot of times like we've given especially like rock artist shit for like not trying more or not or staying you know playing it safe it almost feels like they went a little too safe with this you know because like gold soul theory um is a song that really stands out as one of their past songs that it's very intriguing very interesting it's just totally unique and that that's what worked for them so i'd like to see them kind of get back to it but it's tough, you know, they, they want to reach probably a different level, level of stardom. Like you said, you don't really understand why, and it's it's hard to calculate the next move sometimes. So Underachievers, I think I'll definitely give them another chance whenever that next album comes out, but they have a ton of potential oh, still. Sure. Yeah. Kind of brings us into somebody who had a lot of potential, tragically passed away last November, uh, Lil Peep, uh, his first posthumous drop. I don't know if it's his only one. Come Over When You're Sober Part 2. Like I said, died last year with an overdose on his tour bus. It's hard to... it's. I guess it's hard to talk about this without mentioning X since the single. Uh, X's single drops this weekend and also the single off this album that's blowing up, Falling Down, involves X on it. But w- why don't we talk quick about posthumous albums? What, what's your take on them? How do you feel about them? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty out on them generally. Um, just go listen to what Diddy did to Biggie uh-huh. after Biggie died. Um, duets the final chapter, Born and Goliath, <laughs> Black Crap. And it's just like, it's just taking snippets. Well, Diddy, Diddy really, really was egregious because he put a mm-hmm. fuck ton of features on all those posthumous releases, right? And sometimes those artists beginning even fuck with, right? But in general, just cobbling together snippets and like half-baked song ideas into, quote, songs and a full product just to make money off the estate i just find it's pretty um right pretty shallow and uh fucked up the thing to do and that's kind of my now for x in particular uh who we're gonna get i mean they're releasing this new album skins next month right uh and then peep as well a lot of these songs a lot of these ideas they're, they're literally like it's just a hook you made a song by recycling this one hook that they the guy did like there was no verse, you just redid the hook the whole time. It's just like, I just get really annoyed with like the greed of it, you know. And I think in particular this um, this single that Peep and X have, guys who never met by the way, never really communicated yeah. at all. Yeah, and Peep didn't. I think was public they didn't even really like X based on the yeah. things he had done to women. And that's a controversy. I don't think that's like quote confirmed, but people that Peep were close with are saying that. And whether that's true or not, you know, the original version had McConan on there which is the following song on this album right but no of course they had to put him with x because x equals streams and this is the first release of of peeps on columbia records he never did that when he was alive but 
you know, the estate, which includes his mom, includes his close friends, you know, they decided to put together this. Now, I think in the case of Peep, uh, it doesn't sound as egregious because apparently a lot of this music was recorded around the time he made part one last year Mm -hmm. and they just worked to finish this. But, you know, I always get rubbed the wrong way. And I, I think the first song on here, I was like, Man, this sounds way too cleaned up. He was always really into like those like lo-fi yeah. vocals, right? Like that like distorted as fuck, right? Mm-hmm. And that first song didn't sound like that at all. I was like, you just it just sounds like a label cutting it up mm-hmm. for you know, for money. So I was kinda get rubbed the wrong way. But I mean on the other hand, I did think this sounded better. This is probably the most enjoyable peep listen yes. I've ever had. I wasn't <laughs> a huge fan of him in life. Like, yeah, Awful Things was a big hit. I see the appeal of that, obviously. Uh, the Bright Side, same way. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I was not big on him. But this one sounded better, and I think that's partially because the label was going to, you know, make it sound more appealing for, you know, the benefit of streams. But what did you think? You know, not super familiar with Little People. Like you mentioned, I've, I, I think it was Awful. I'd heard that track, and it didn't really grab me, but this was a pretty enjoyable listen. Um, and I think I think it's kind of for some of the reasons you, you talked about. He sounded a lot different on this album. He sounded a lot clearer, a lot crisper, um, which, I mean, for better or for worse, I think that's what really draws people to this album. And it's like there's not that many features. It's it's him. And it's him in a way that people didn't usually hear him. And whether he would have been okay with that or not, obviously, we'll never know. Um, but it seems like everything, all the production, the way that, that this came together was done uh trying to put something out that would honor him and not just something that would profit off of him, um, right. which makes you feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, you know, posthumous al- albums, like recently, Prince's Estate released a lot of music that he didn't really want released. And <laughs> it's it's incredibly disrespectful to the person, but this seems to be done in a very tasteful way. Um, I do think Falling Down is a freaking catchy-ass song. <laughs> and like uh for all the problems with it i i think it's one it's a very fun song to listen to and i i like how peep you know infuses hip-hop uh rap and and rock you know together in mm-hmm. pretty pretty seamlessly and i think that there's not really a terrible song on the album although um i did find it kind of creepy how many of the lyrics were related to like you know like death or leaving almost kind of uh uh, predicting uh, things to come mm-hmm. in a way um any any songs on this other than falling down that you think are worth mentioning or noting yeah was it 16 lines mm-hmm. uh, i thought that was that was a catchy hook um was it runaway i think it was called i mean there's some i think that sounded good and i think you, you hear that and you hear the potential and i think that, that that was the main takeaway when he passed it was not that little peep had released a really singular work per se, but he was an influential figure that clearly was going to be a star, you know, as this infusion of SoundCloud rap and emo and all, all of this, right? Like he was clearly on, on a path to stardom, and he was very popular, despite, in my opinion, not having any music that was that great, you know? Um, and you see that again here. And like you said, the morbid stuff is now pretty uh, off-putting to listen to at times, but that was always what he rapped or something rapped about whatever you know that uh, was nothing new so you know i again it's just it's it's a sad story like just like it was a sad story a year ago i have a feeling this will be pretty uh appealing to a lot of his fans if they can you know get over the nature of his creation 
And I will say, uh, John Carmonico at the New York Times wrote a lengthy feature on how this album got put together, you know, by his mom and his close friend who's a producer. And it's an interesting story. I actually find the whole uh, story of that over this past year pretty, pretty interesting. So read that if you're interested. Rounding out our music section of today's pod, talking about the ninth studio album from rock band Muse. Are, are you a Muse fan? I'm, I don't know if we've ever really talked about them. When we talked about what's happening to rock music, we actually pretty egregiously forgot to, t- to mention them. Do we not mention them at all? I, I don't on that, on that video. I don't think we did potentially, but I, I think they're one of the ones that we forgot to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, are you a Muse Muse fan? Uh, I'm not like I don't like dis dislike them as much as I dislike other modern bands. Um, I, I think they have interesting guitars, which which is cool. Yeah, so I'm not like as down on them as I like like I, like I'm not a big Foo Fighters guy, Pearl Jam guy. I'm not really into that, but I I think you know I'm not as so negative on Muse the way I am on other popular rock bands, right? But I mean, regardless of my opinion, they are one of the most successful and famous rock bands of the 2000s. And I think, again, their first album came out in '99. They're gonna—it's one of the most—it's gonna be what the most talked about rock album of the month, you know? Definitely From an old ass band. That's the story of rock music these days. But I did not uh did not mind this album beyond its ungodly length. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think? Are are you a bigger Muse fan? Have you listened to a lot of those other records? Yeah, you know it's interesting. Their their earlier like their first three, Origin of Symmetry, uh. Hullabaloo and of course Shelby is their first one I'm not super familiar with but they really hit their groove and gained a lot of their popularity between 2004's Absolution and 2006's Black Holes and Revelations and I ride hard for those two albums uh high school Pat was very into those uh those albums and played a lot of Muse uh at track practice and before soccer practice um you know i honestly like when when i was that age and i was really starting to like explore music and start to build opinions i saw them as like the modern day version of rush now they're obviously not as like instrumentally influential as rush in a lot of ways i think their guitar work like you mentioned is probably the most standout piece of their their sonic form but just like three really top-notch uh artists and uh you know i think lyrically they they've stayed pretty consistent they they're anti-government or at least like anti-big government and they they kind of used uh this album to go back and forth between a relationship and government but really i think music just can create some really awesome stadium songs you know like you think about madness um off their uh was that was that four years ago now no that wasn't off drones i don't believe um no, Madness is definitely sure. before. I think it's. I think it was off the Resistance, um, uh, a while back. But that that's like a great stadium song, and I think that they they really try to stay in that lane here while also infusing some '80s vibe into this. Which I mean, if you're ever going to infuse '80s vibe, I guess right now is the time to do it. So it made <laughs> it made the songs enjoyable, but like it, it didn't really impress me, and it kind of left me a little bit disappointed. But at the same time. I I don't think I was expecting Muse to blow me away with this album. I think I, I kind of know what they are at this point, and they gave us that. You know, it's interesting. The sonics of this new album actually sounded pseudo-contemporary in terms of, like, rock expectations. Hmm. And they actually kind of reminded, production-wise, almost reminded me of a band that doesn't have guitars, 21 Pilots, you know? Whereas, like, subtly lean into electronic 
things yeah. from time to time, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I just, you, you could hear the parallel there. Certainly. And uh, that song, Madness, by the way, was off The Second Law from uh, 2012. Gotcha. Uh, danced around it. It's funny, because they were kind of like, like, driving the bandwagon on, like, the government's listening to you. <laughs> Watch out. It was like them and MIA mm-hmm. were on the shit, like, 10 years before everyone else, right? Like, pre-Snowden. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about in retrospect. Yeah. But also, you know, you listen to uh, Muse talk about this new record, and they'll be like, they almost like downplayed the like the rhetoric mm-hmm. this time around. And I think it was not so subtly stating that they can see the danger that nationalism has had these days when it's used that way. And it's nice of them to understand yeah. uh, that. So again, I, I think it's long, but if you like Muse, if you like this type of guitar-driven rock music that actually sounds a little contemporary... Yeah, I think it's pretty good. It's actually, given my given my standards for rock enjoyment these days, I was I was entertained. Yeah, it's funny because like Drones, their 2016 album, I think fell a bit flat and wasn't super uh, liked by the public. And I feel like they almost like overcorrected in a sense because like the last was like eight songs on the album are all just like remixes or the same songs just delivered differently. The Spotify version of it's what the super deluxe edition. Yeah, it's like an hour and thirty plus or something. It's like yeah, it's all those. It's like we we don't need that. Sorry, like you want to release like a, a sessions side EP or something or B side thing, do it separately, please. Yeah, yeah. The the, <laughs> the pressure featuring the UCLA marching band. I was like, how hard could you try to just like get all the normies to come and listen to this album and like that song? Um, which I mean, good for them. Get get their popularity, get that money, but. Migos method. Yeah, I gotta say, probably one of my least favorite Muse songs that I've listened to um, off this was uh, wait, I wrote it down here. Um, oh, something human. Like that that song is just absolute shit. But I really liked uh, <laughs> Blockades. I thought the guitar work in that was uh, awesome. And Dig Down, um, obviously, and Pressure and Thought Contagion are just what what you'd expect from like a popular rock band at this point. So one final question. Did you like this more than the latest Interpol record? If you want to hear my thoughts on Interpol, check out our review. YouTube at Nostalgia Pod on Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to steer away from that and into Homecoming <laughs> with our guy Sam Eshmael. We're waiting for Mr. Robot that final season to drop. But in the meantime, he was like, you know what? I'm going to make every podcaster excited to possibly have a movie about them someday. So... I'm really excited. Uh, Homecoming, based off the podcast from uh, Eli Horowitz and Michael Bloomberg, um, starring Julia fucking Roberts on her small screen <laughs> debut. I mean, what? Uh, Stephen James, Bobby Cannavale, Shea Wiggum, and Sissy Spacek. Killer cast. Um, and you know what was the best part about this? Every episode was 30 minutes long. Awesome. Some of them were less, 27 minutes. <laughs> and I loved that. General thoughts about Homecoming, then we can dig a little deeper into the specific things we liked. Yeah, I was a big fan. I have it in my top 10 shows of 2018. Oh, yeah. I uh, like liked the season a lot. I thought it was, in, to, to use the word of the podcast, I thought it was a very well-paced and it was a very engaging show. Yeah. Because it seemed like each episode ended at the perfect time, you know. It was like it wasn't so much to hit you with stingers, so much as it like, you know, it just ended like really at the right note, uh-huh. and then they would let the scene play out as the credits rolled, which I thought was a really cool touch. Yep. 
so I and I think the thirty minute runtime is nice because there there isn't a lot of fat on this show and it's interesting because it you know it's a conspiracy thriller a mystery show but it's not like a mystery box show like like a Lost or something where it's like the mystery is so focused on your enjoyment of the show and figuring out what that is right that's not this it's not like that complicated and then also same as my old guy who we we gas every time we talk about Mr Robot but. He directed every episode of this show, and it really shows because whether it's shifting to that four-three aspect ratio and condensing the field of view, you yeah. know, or these cool overhead shots, or just the general visual palette, you know, much like Mister Robot, it's a beautiful show to watch that looks unlike other shows. So I think, you know, it really is the whole package, and the fact that it's a quick listen, it's a watch, it's like five hours long, you know, yeah. It's, uh, really great and they already greenlit a second season that was you know before they even shot this one it was a two-season order mm-hmm. so uh very excited to see what happens but in the meantime i mean i didn't even need to care about the plot all the time i it was just great to watch and watch the good performances in a cool way so yeah i was a big fan yeah and it worked so well for tv the plot um because you know it, it with some of the uh you know we'll talk generally because i don't expect everybody to have seen this at this point you know it's just kind of came out to amazon this month but with the way that the story kind of revolves around the main character figuring things out with you know shea wiggum's uh department of was that complaints or department of justice Uh, defense defense character figuring things out as well you are kind of left at the end of each episode being like, ah, well, I, I want to know what happened there. Like, what what was that that point? Where was that going? Uh, it's super bingeable. You know, I kind of had to almost stop myself from from watching too many episodes at once because it's 27 minutes. You're like, ah, I could just throw another one on real quick and move through. Um, the acting is great. I thought the rapport between Roberts and, and James was great. And Bobby Cannavale yeah. just getting to be who he is in every single movie <laughs> and show. Yeah. He really is great at just being a fucking slime ball. Yeah, you know? so like good at it. Ant Man, Master of None, mm-hmm. Robot. You know everything he's been in recently. It's you almost know what to expect, yet he's still great at it. So watching him cook was cool. Yeah, you know it was actually funny because I was thinking about how in Robot he had that like awesome scene at the end where he just kind of starts losing it the end of what oh, is this yeah with the axe and, I, yeah. and he kind of had like a similar scene when he really started to confront wiggum's character here um mm-hmm. you know i think overall just it's beautifully shot it's it's not similar to robot in any way because robot's so unconventional and this almost was like very classical in terms of how it was shot and framing and some of like the the scenes of like setting the the stage or, or setting the the scene so uh really just a great show. It's gonna. I think it's gonna be my top ten for sure for the year. Um, any other thoughts about this? I don't really want to spoil just because people aren't gonna have seen it by now. Yeah, one. I really liked Shay Wickham's glasses <laughs> in the early going. The way they pulled apart. Thought that was fucking awesome. Also, Hong Chow, who was really great in downsizing last year. She's really come along recently. Starts off as just a secretary, and you're know, like. Little uh, undercast for Hong Chao, but no, she gets some good moments later in the season. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool, and I do like where the show left off for season two. Um, you know, moving forward, that was cool. And yeah, Shea Wiggum, yeah, him and Bill Camp, who we're gonna talk about in a little bit, are they the two g- best like character actors right now? Like I feel like they're in everything. They can do any kind of performance, and they're always really good. You know, I just like watching them. Yeah, you know, they're up there. I I had the same thought about Camp when I was watching 
when I was watching the obviously wildlife, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But I do think that there's one more uh, that, that you're forgetting. And he actually was just nominated for three movies that were up for best picture last year. Michael Stolberg. I think he takes the cake right now. He's just super... Uh, everything he's in is fucking fire. But yeah, th- those three to me are like perfect character actors right now. Um, so we're we're going to be talking about the Homecoming Season 2 whenever it comes out. I, did they give a time frame for that? No, I don't think so. Maybe end of next year. I, I don't I don't think we have confirmation on what they're going to... What, what, what their plans are. But it's a nice hit for Amazon. Uh, you know, they... They always need more of those. They don't, you know, they don't have as many as Netflix does or HBO or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk about the season again. Yeah, I'm sure for end of the year. So next month we'll talk about it again. Amazon might have the best show of the month two months in a row with this and Maisel coming out next month. So yeah, it's a good time for Amazon. Uh, what do you want to talk about first, Wildlife or Outlaw King? Let's do Wildlife. Ah, Bill Camp. Yo, shout out Paul Dano. Uh, was it for like the past what three months we've been or two months we've been talking about these actors becoming directors jonah hill mid-90s bradley cooper with a star is born now paul dano wildlife 90 sitting at 94 percent on rotten tomatoes pretty impressive uh for a debut starring jake gyllenhaal carrie mulligan bill camp and ed oxenbold uh he did a great job um with a a pretty difficult role i'd say for a, a actor his age general thoughts about wildlife we'll talk we'll talk spoilers because people can go see this now yeah it, it's funny because when i watched them I, I went in knowing it was really well liked and i knew carrie mulligan was really good in it which she is and as i'm watching it and then as the end of it, i was like yeah that was really great you know and i have it i think i have it in my top 15 on my movie list right now maybe top 20 it's right there. And then, you know, it's like, it's not like I was super, like, maybe entertained is, you know, probably the right word. I wasn't, like, super, like, on the edge of my seat watching it. But the whole time I was just, like, appreciating what the movie was doing or trying to do. And then I thought about it a lot after I watched it, which I guess is just a roundabout way of saying, I'm not sure I know know what the point was, but I, I liked trying to figure it out you know <laughs> so so it so- you know, sounds it, like what you're yeah. saying is like those wildfires it was a slow burn for you ah check God. it out yeah there it is you know and it's funny because if you want to like go against the film i think there are a lot of themes being explored one of which is the theme of the fire which comes back throughout what every act of the movie mm-hmm. um at the, at the end of the day you're just watching a marriage in what is it the, the 50s 60s i think it's 1960 yeah, uh, disintegrate through the eyes of a 14-year-old boy. That's really what the crux of it is. And it's based off a John Ford novel. It's the first John Ford uh, novel to be adapted at all. There's been a lot of false starts with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just think watching the emotion on Gary Mulligan's face and Jake Gyllenhaal to a certain extent as well uh, was, you know, it's not something we've got a lot this year. And I thought that the way the movie ends... Uh, I was kind. Of, I was probably that was probably the most like on the edge of my seat for that, mm-hmm. despite it not being something where a lot happens. You know, I just it was a really well crafted movie, and yeah, I just appreciate what it was, even if I, you know, maybe some of it went over my head. You know, yeah, you know, I I think kind of what you talked about is this is, I feel like this is a very uh, 
like filmmakers movie like if you appreciate film and you really like the way stories are to- are told um you'll appreciate this if you if you really only like film to be entertained i don't know if you're gonna be entertained the whole time because there are are some down points of it i mean i think mulligan's performance is it's kind of crazy how she like toes this line between like being okay than like really not being okay so quickly like the whole scene at uh bill camp's house uh for dinner was like uh, she was unbelievable in that scene not only like how quickly she was flip-flopping but the way that she was using her face and her body to like get it get so much across it was such like a, a physical scene for her even though she did have a lot mm-hmm. of speaking lines um i also i mean gyllenhaal i was just thinking like has he been in any other movies this year then all of a sudden he pops up for this like kind of crazy because he's probably one of the most i don't know i don't know about lauded but he's he's up there in terms of people saying he's one of the better like skillful actors and he's yeah kind of just in the small movie yeah it's, it's a good point i mean he was in uh stronger last year the uh boston marathon survivor movie um he'll be in spider-man far from home and next summer but i think this was it for this year right but uh he's an interesting yeah, it, guy it's, it, it, it's clearly a smaller a smaller role and honestly not not the most likable character no you know so it would, but I mean, that's also, I guess, what Gyllenhaal does is he really can jump around and show his range. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, that's what this was, you know, just playing a, honestly, a kind of pathetic character, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing I think I appreciate most about it is just how Dano used the setting so effectively. Like the whole drive out to the fires uh, with like the the rolling mountains of, of the Rocky Mountains in the foreground and um, mm-hmm. just like framing the shots uh zooming in on on uh Oxenhold's face when he's like looking at the fires uh, really well done i think he's got a, you know a, a nice career ahead of him as a director he's already been a pretty successful actor um you know i i think where sometimes the movie does fall short like you said the point kind of goes over your head i think at points and you're trying to kind of figure out what's the real message that they're trying to get across here. And there might not even be a central message that they're trying to get across more, just telling a story and letting you take from it what you want. Um, I also think that like, for example, Bill Camp's character uh, is, I think like super realistic, but at the same time, like they don't necessarily explore certain parts of it that I think are, were really important. Like, it, they basically made you believe and you're seeing it through the boy's eyes which makes a lot of sense that this is his mom's new boyfriend when really his mom was just being used in a lot of ways and you don't really yeah. get that till the the, the third act when Jill and Hall goes to confront him so I think some of that could have been told a little bit more uh, directly but overall it was I thought it was really well done um, and it's probably like top 15 top 20 for me this year for sure I mean how many movies have we seen like 45 you've seen like 60 right so 60 61 yeah that's you know you say like top 15 top 20 but that's actually like pretty good in a very strong movie year although fantastic beast gonna push those all to the bottom right i'm seeing it in dolby cinema hey so that'll help right <laughs> expecto patronum that movie's gonna need some hey. help it's sounding like why don't we finish up with outlaw king you know what i liked most about this movie chris pine's dick that was second number one was it was on Netflix, so I watched it from my couch. Uh, I'll give I'll give any movie I can watch on Netflix 
some points um, for in my book. Uh, David McKenzie, this is his first movie since Hell or High Water, which was nominated for Best Picture. Outlaw King with Chris Pine. It's a period piece. Like, uh, it's a period <laughs> war movie, which is all I really, I think I feel about it, just because I don't really love these movies. I, I didn't really love Braveheart, uh-huh. although I've seen parts of it. I thought, I thought some of the action and fighting was good, and there were a couple of nice, like, relationship moments, but otherwise it just kind of was like, must fucking suck to live during that time. Like, I'm so glad we live when we do. Yeah. Um, it's just like, just, yeah, hammer that home real quick. It's just like, ah, fuck. They, they, uh, Robert the Bruce's wife is back at home. Oh, shit. I hope, uh, uh, the prince doesn't come. Otherwise, he's going to rape and kill us all. Yep. And we have no, no say in the matter. It's not up to us. Like, it's, it must suck. No bueno, dude. <laughs> <laughs> also, I mean, I know that they cut this part, but so much William Wallace talk and then no William Wallace payoff. I was like, man. Just wanted to see what you were going to well, do with it. Well, I mean, he's dead in like the first 15 minutes. So I know, but I just wanted to... to see him. He was supposed to be in the movie. Well, and, and that's what's actually really interesting about this is when it premiered at Toronto a few months, like what, two months ago, mm-hmm. uh, it was not, it didn't do well. It was very long. It was like two and a half hours, I think. And the pacing was just all off. And that was really what the, the, uh, you know everyone was saying and that's despite the fact that i think there is good performances in this there's pretty shots of scotland and chore- well choreographed action all mm-hmm. things that should be positives for the movie but because it just seemed messy it, it was pretty savaged right and then you know to, i think to a lot of the critics credit they rewatched this new cut which is 23 minutes shorter and gave it a, a fair shake once more because this is the version that you know me and you and everyone else is actually going to see mm-hmm. right and a lot of these re-reviews, uh, I think all the re-reviews are more positive, and a lot of them actually became positive reviews, right? And part of that was cutting things that didn't really matter. I think the pace of the movie uh, that they saw was very slow to start, right? Part of mm-hmm. that is his, him meeting Wallace, uh, Chance Encounter in the Woods. Yeah. Um, there was like this other chase scene, but they just kind of established and like slowly drew up Robert the Bruce's motivations, but the conflict didn't start for a while. I think that's what like lost people mm-hmm. at the premiere. So I think, you know, credit to David McKenzie and to Netflix for giving him this chance. They gave him two weeks to recut the film right after. And, you know, he also credit to him for realizing it, seeing in that, in the moment, being like, ah, shit, this isn't working. I need to fix things. And it's funny because he never really made movies that long before. So, you know, I think that, that, that took a lot to, you know, uh, kill your darlings in that regard. Uh, but the cut we did get, I, I, you know, I like these kind of movies. I like, I like war films in general. I like uh, medieval films like this that don't have a fantasy element. This is not King Arthur: Legend of the Sword. This is just, uh, you know, Rob, let's watch Robert the Bruce kick some fucking ass. Let's watch Aaron Taylor Johnson be a fucking unhinged psycho and murder people. It's fucking that badass, was awesome, you know. Yeah, and. I think it was really pretty, and it's funny because the movie cost ninety million, expensive. But I mean, I would have thought it was a little more expensive, to be honest. Given it shot all in location, all over mm-hmm. England and Scotland, and uh, I think it really started off. I really liked how it started with, uh, you know, all the Scottish nobles, uh, you know, uh, bowing, bending the knee to Edward, right, and like having the truce for the first conflict, right, 
and then they have that quick duel where they establish that Edward the Second's a fucking prick, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, Edward comes back out and it's like, "Hey guys, let's have a good time. Let's use our fucking shiny catapult and just burn this castle." Yeah. And it was just like it was all done in the one take. They go out of the tent, in the tent, out of the tent, and you know some like shit talking in the duel. Like I thought that was a really cool scene. But overall, you know, I just I was kind of like on the edge of my seat just watching it happen. And it's funny because I was pausing it a lot to like go on Wikipedia and be like, oh, yeah, he was played by that guy in Braveheart. They're the same guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it now. And it's just it's funny because as a person with a history degree, English history always was a little dull to me, despite the fact that there was tons of war. Right. And tons of mm-hmm. people getting like killed and betrayed and stuff. But I guess seeing it on screen like this was 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 cool. I'm interested to hear what you would think of mary queen of scots when it comes out in december with sir sharonan and margot robbie because this is basically taking place in the same area uh like 200 years later <laughs> uh, i'm probably gonna be very bored by that story as well um you know honestly like that that opening scene was probably my favorite part of it i felt like and, and th- this this might be just who the character was but robert the bruce didn't really capture me as, as the main character and I mean, the whole story revolves around him. It's it's his story, and um, I don't think Chris Pine acted it poorly. I think just the character in general was he's very uh, introspective. He internalized a lot yeah. and kind of reserved, he, even in some of his tactics. Until which it, this is actually brings me to another point, but he does he doesn't really start propelling or taking chances to figure this all out until his wife is captured and he finds out about it. it's almost like a very traditional movie in that sense like war movie in that sense like you know general who's just trying to like take care of things and get by and then oh his wife is captured so now he's gotta start making these crazy chances and really trying things i was like all right man like I- i've seen this story this character mm-hmm. isn't super enthralling it- some of the fight scenes are good so i'm gonna keep watching but overall i just was kind of like eh, it's a very meh i'd give it like a 60 65 i had it out of 100 mm-hmm. so um, oh, I mean, but it's on Netflix, so bump that up to like a 69 for me. Hey. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Any last thoughts on also, this? Sh- I mean, shout out the guy Stannis, Stephen Delaney, <laughs> as, Ed- as Edward. Yep. Uh, rocking that blonde wig. Uh, I actually thought all the times where he roasted uh, Edward II, his son, was just really funny. Mm-hmm. He's like, like, was it that scene before he rides out or before he dies? He's just like, I had hoped that I would never have to have to ride again. I hoped wrong. <laughs> he's just like, <laughs> yeah, he was great. roundabout way just shits on his son in front of everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I saw some criticism going around that the film treatment of female characters is pretty rote, pretty you know, mm-hmm. uh, backward, and it's like. You know, it's tough because I think Florence Pugh, who really busts on the scene last year in Lady Macbeth, she's definitely a young actress to watch. She'll be in a Little Woman, the Greta Gerwig movie. Mm-hmm. But I think she's pretty good as his wife in the scene she has. But yeah, she doesn't have a lot of scenes. But also, the role of women, I think, in this in this specific struggle was probably was from what we know not that intense. I mean, there were some scenes between Pine and Pugh that were cut. I heard, and I did think they had good chemistry. Yeah. in the movie. But yeah, I think that I guess that's a fair take. But you know, I think you know if anything. The main takeaway, of course, is that Chris Pine is just lapping the field in the Chris Wars. These oh days. yeah, he, he continues to make the best choices and have the most success. 
and it's awesome to see because he was always my pick, you know, and I always laughed when everyone's like, no, it's Pratt right now. It's like, bitch, please. Pine has always been the dude. And here, more evidence right here. Well, I think there was a period, especially after Guardians first came out, where Pratt was up there. It's actually funny. I think Pratt would be in third right now because your guy Chris Evans getting out of that Captain America contract, he couldn't be happier. Even if he doesn't have anything lined up, he's just happy to be done. So. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because I want to see what is Evans going to do now. I think he's done some theater, but because like, mm-hmm. Hemsworth is interesting because he has made some cool choices apart from Thor, but very few of those movies were actually successful financially, right. and that is a part of his calculus, right? But Pine, between Star Trek, side side role in Wonder Woman, now this, mm-hmm. he's doing all these things, and you know, apart from I think Rush. Hemsworth has had a bunch of misses, like Bad Times Yellow Royale movie. He's barely in. Miss. Did not do well either. And Pratt uh, quickly has so far come across as more one note, you know, mm-hmm. between Jurassic World and Guardians. So, yeah, shout out Pine. I thought, you know, I think this is this is a cool movie to do because you do have a lot of pressure on you to make a movie that is literally the chronological sequel to uh, fucking Braveheart. You know, Braveheart's a very popular uh, movie. Granted, historically inaccurate, derived for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but well known, right? So following that up is 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 not easy. But I thought Mackenzie, who was a Scot, uh, paid a lot of care to this, and yeah, I think uh, Pine and Taylor Johnson, uh, you know, they brought it for this movie, and not without its flaws. But you know, again, for a Netflix movie, on the other hand, I thought this would be cool to watch on a big screen, but getting to watch uh, all that shit in sanctity of your own home is also pretty cool. So. You know, shout out Netflix for dropping the bag for this one. Shout out Netflix. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there for this week. Dave, what, what are the people looking for next week? What should they watch or listen to? Well, definitely watch Widows. Steve McQueen, stellar cast, of course. Mm-hmm. You know that. Fantastic Beast, The Crimes of Grindelwald will also be out. Yeah. I am in, I, I'm in, invested for the lore. I want to see I know. any nuggets we get. You know, I, my other thing is like, I don't have a high standard for Harry Potter movies. Most of them aren't that good anyway. There was a so that doesn't like offend me, you know. There was I just want to see what happens. A review that said that there's a a reveal that's like the biggest Harry Potter reveal ever in a movie. So, which I mean, it's it, not and it's it's not that yeah, it's not that big a deal because I mean, everything's going to be revealed. There's no books to go off of. So, anything we don't know is going to be revealed, but um I am I'm, I'm still interested to see what it's going to be. Right. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs will be on Netflix, uh, similar to how David Mc- Netflix let Mackenzie cut twenty minutes off of his expensive ass war movie. They also let the Coens turn their anthology series into a movie. So <laughs> I'm interested to see how this comes out. And of course, on the music front, uh, yes, Lord Anderson Pack Oxnard. Yes, Lord. So. We're talking about that, no doubt. Absolutely. So hit that subscribe button. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod uh, so you can get our podcast any way you want to listen to. Share us with friends. We appreciate it. And follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod uh, to stay up to date with all the stuff that's going on in pop culture that we're not talking about. Um, if you have anything you would do want to talk, of, talk about, hit us up there. Leave a rating and review. And we'll see you next week. Hey.